Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand oh. and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. Hounds of heaven. Jesus loves you and is there for you. Welcome in to David L. Grace Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, my Jesus. Forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls of heaven, especially those most near thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic Guzman, Pray for us. Venerable Father Gus Tolton, pray for us. So what are we talking about today? Today is the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus at the Temple, traditionally called Candle Mass, because, uh, you know, candles were lit this day as um, symbolizing our, our the great opportunity, the great blessing that we had of Christ who entered the world, Christ who is the light of the world. It's also called... a a, a number of other wonderful names, but I think my favorite is, I think, more common to the Eastern Catholic traditions, and it's called the Meeting of Our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I like the whole thing, rather than just the candle mass or the presentation of Jesus to the temple. No, it's the Meeting of Our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a great name. So I want to use this opportunity to speak about the three reactions that people have to the good. How do people react to, to the good? What, what are the three ways that react to, to the good, the objective good, whenever we encounter the good? Um, and, and how the liturgy is teaching us how to encounter the good? Because we encounter the good some a lot of disordered ways, right? And we'll go over those. But ultimately, the liturgy, which, you know, we talk about this all the time on the show, the liturgy is the teaching construct of the church about how we ought to live our lives. So we can look to the liturgy for everything. I find that a theology that is not grounded in a liturgy is an in inadequate theology. So it has to be grounded in a liturgy. So that's what we do on this show. That's what we're going to talk about. But before that, Cecil and I are going to do something really cool today. We're going to spend about five minutes. We're going to try to construct the perfect romantic comedy of which the world has been deprived of long enough. The world doesn't have enough Catholic rom-coms and you know we talk about Korean dramas all the time on the show or a few times we have so you know and, and I think Cecil has like a degree in this thing so we're going to have some fun with that and then about the 20 minute mark my friend Doug Barry he'll be on the show to talk about getting battle ready and I want to ask him his thoughts on the culture war is that even still a thing you really don't hear about that term too much anymore you hear a lot about um the great reset and all this uh, what's going on with the culture war did someone win it is it over <laughs> so go look forward to that and i appreciate you allowing me to come into your space for another hour for another wednesday you know you could be listening to anything in the world right now but you've tuned into the david o gray show voicing truth and reason i appreciate that you know you know jesus said i call you friends because i have made known to you everything for my father and likewise i'll call you friends because you listen to me every wednesday 
The producer of the show on the Guadalupe Red Network is Cecil Anderson, and she's in the house. <laughs> hey, Cecil. <laughs> hey, I am cool? here. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is. And, uh, yeah, Cecil, so I was telling everyone, you know, we, we talked about Korean dramas on the show a couple mm-hmm. times. But I think what the world is really missing is more intentionally Catholic yes. romantic comedy. So I, I want to build one that. with you. That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. And if there's any, like, video producers, movie producers out there... <laughs> Just, like, keep your ears open, but make sure that you credit us and that we get some royalties if it's a good story, okay? Yes, or we'll see you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have it on audio tape, okay? <laughs> exactly, right. All right, so let, for, for the audience, I just want to go over just the nine basic elements first of, you know, general romantic comedy. So if you're not familiar with it, here's the nine essential elements. So the first one is it has two lovable leads. Um the next, the second element, it has like what was called a meets cute, like or a not so cute. How did the cute story? How they met? Now, before you vomit, right? Because at this point <laughs> in a rom com, you're about to vomit. Oh, these two people are so cute. They met so cute. There has to be some sort of troublesome situation. So that's the next element. Every rom com has like a great sidekick, maybe two, a super fun montage, you know, on a, on a romantic comedy, that, that super fun date that they went on. Like after the romantic comedy is over, you just kind of want to imitate it, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, <laughs> they're, they're so cute together. They had this great date, but something happens and they're not going to make it, right? So there's that element. The relationship is in jeopardy. Last three elements are the, after they realize, oh, the relationship is jeopardy, they realize, oh, I have to be with you. There's that moment, the light bulb moment. And then associated with that is like the grand gesture, like, oh, you had me a hello, right? And then finally, there's a happy ending. So Cecil and I, what we're going to do for the next five or so minutes, we're going to take each part and build a great Catholic rom-com, right? And the trick here is that we're going to give all, we're going to alternate each part, each of the nine parts. (laughs) And we have no idea what the other person is, is going to say. So this could get weird. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> or it could be, like Sister said, some sort of lifetime movie producer is going to call us. So yeah, tell us exactly. what you think. <laughs> Not likely, but we get, we're going to you know, think positive thoughts here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Sister, so here I go. Okay. The two lovable leads. I'm just going to give you the name and is kind of where they're from, okay? So um, they're Eric. His name is Eric. And her name is Elise. And I know you like 80s rock, mm-hmm. so I'm going to sing this to you in like a journey sort of way. <laughs> All right. Here. Okay. <laughs> Eric is a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. And Elise is a small town girl. Okay. <laughs> That's, those are your characters. <laughs> or not mm-hmm. so cute. I think it might fall under the not so cute. Okay. They meet in the confession line at church. Oh. And Eric is a little bit awkward and he tries to like, you know, chat her up in the confession line and set and fumbles with the line of what is a pretty girl like you doing in a confession line like this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Put yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I go. Uh, let's see where I can go with that. <laughs> that that isn't me cute though. That's <laughs> that's so cute. Yes. That, yeah. he's, that's awkward. It okay. Is. It's awkward. I didn't know Eric was awkward, but okay. Uh, sorry. I made yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> right. Because he's from South Detroit. I thought he was cool, but okay. Maybe she's so pretty. He just went there. Yeah, All right. You're okay. in line for confession. You're preparing your heart. You know, you're not quite. Your brain's not quite there. <laughs> <laughs> all right so they're catholic they're at confession okay uh so we're about to vomit this is really cute troublesome situation is um okay eric is actually eastern orthodox right? <gasps> um but he he's at confession at at least you know a church i guess at least goes to so they're so he's eastern orthodox she's norvis Odo roman right right okay so so here's here's the punchline. so he's he he's eastern orthodox she's roman catholic what could possibly go right <laughs> r-i-t <laughs> You just wrote, wrote the tagline, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. line for the what, film. What, what could, could possibly, possibly go, go right? right? That's the name of the movie. <laughs> what could possibly go right? <laughs> oh, okay. So are they aware at this point that are, I'm going to assume that they're unaware? Uh, so I think they they should be have the cute fun montage unaware that okay. they are different rights. Okay. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so they're going to go on a cute. Um, what's a cute date that uh, Catholics could go on besides adoration? <laughs> <laughs> They go on a they go on a pilgrimage, they go on a walking pilgrimage in uh, in the area, and it's cute and it's fun, but it's also like full of you know ups and downs. Like one of them loses a shoe or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Elise loses a shoe and Eric has to carry her <laughs> up to the up to the shrine that they're going to visit. Ooh. What do we think? Oh okay okay. So Eric and Elise, city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. Elise, small town girl. They meet at a confession line. He's, but they're different rights. What can go wrong or what can go right? And their first super date is a pilgrimage. This is a great, I like this. <laughs> yeah. They need a sidekick though. Uh, oh, 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 that's a good idea. Oh, I can't wait to see what you come up with. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so Eric's sidekick, um, Let's say, okay, the sidekick, this is the, so the best friend in the story. This is the, you know, in the Romantic economy, he's the, the best friend or sidekick is the person who they tell all the secrets to what's going on. So Eric's sidekick is actually just his, his best friend. He lives with his roommate, right? So he lives with his roommate. It's his best friend. And, but he also happens to be, um, um, Drew Brees. Yeah. He's... <laughs> He's a Catholic, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so he's Drew Brees. He lives in Drew Brees' basement because Drew Brees is married. Okay. Yeah. 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 And this is a celebrity cameo. Oh, there you go. There, you, we've already got it sorted. I feel like someone was listening, like this is a good story, and then they're like, "What just happened?" <laughs> um, that you know what? That works. So he's our he's our fun character who just adds like commentary. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. And so this is where they have to be. Jeopardy has to happen, right? Right. Okay. So obviously, I think the big Jeopardy is they're going to find out their different rights. Right. Right. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> so I think the way that that should happen is that Eric could, should find a prayer card with the Pope on it. 
in Elisa's purse. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how they ended up at confession together, but <laughs> that's a story for another time. Right. Because Eric went to confession because he couldn't find an Eastern Orthodox. Oh, there you go. Because we didn't even, we didn't even know what town they were. We're just going to assume this is a place where Eric couldn't go to confession. So he's at her church. But I guess he didn't know that she's like, she's really Catholic. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't know if she's going to ever come over to, to Eastern Orthodox. Right? Mm-hmm. So you so he so he realizes he going he sees in her purse up oh she's a papist <laughs> yeah she's she's really into this and then okay they realize oh yeah so the future is in jeopardy Cecil it is <laughs> they have to have a light bulb moment right yeah okay so um and so yeah so the movie's going on you know there's some tension here Eric just, I don't know if this is going to work out. He's talking to Drew Brees. Drew Brees doesn't know what's going to happen. He can't really provide him any help. <laughs> but he's just saying, hey, you got to be honest with her. And so at one point in time, Eric finds himself, because they're going, I guess they're going to her mass and his mass. Maybe he's trying to figure it out. And one day, Eric does a sign of the cross like a Latin does it <gasps> from left to right. And he realizes <gasps> she's the one I'm going to convert. <laughs> the second he did that he was like i've got it so his grand gesture then i'm assuming is that he's just gonna he's gonna go to and 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 talk to a priest in the roman rite and figure out how he gets can get into the church and his grand gesture <laughs> yeah. is, is at mass she doesn't know what's gonna happen and he gets called up to the front oh <laughs> there you go and i guess he yeah he proposes that after that I guess that's and that's the happy ending right there. But, um, so, but okay, so that yes, that's the grand gesture, and so the movie's about to go off, and then we see a wedding, and we think it's going to be them, but actually, it's no. I was okay. I was going to say, you know, you know, like in romantic comedies, they actually don't get married, but they see their friends get yes, married. Yes, yes. But I can't. Yeah, I can't marry Drew Brees. He's yeah, already yeah, married. Yeah, I was going to say he's already married. Right. <laughs> pre if we're doing like a you know one in the past it's like pre him getting married uh -huh. you know yeah um so the happy ending is they get married but before the nuptials he has a flashback of a he has a destiny flashback and he realizes that he saw her before at a wedding reception and then no let's not go there that's korean <laughs> Writing okay. a, a Catholic Korean drama. <laughs> right. I don't know, Cecil. What's the happy ending? The happy ending? Uh, we can skip ahead like five, 10 years and they have oh, 12 kids. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're just. Do it like, you know, big fat Greek wedding style. Yeah. And yeah. And they live in a Catholic community somewhere in Texas. Yeah, there yes, we go. There you go. Happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> So that's our movie, everybody. What could possibly go right? <laughs> Again, you can reach out to us. I do have a degree in video technology. I can help produce, but um, need some funds. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
What's going on um, Back to the Father this week? Uh, I am so glad you asked, David. We actually had to take a week off last week, so we didn't get to uh, do our show. So we are very happy to be able to do it this week. And we're going to be talking about, uh, we've been kind of going through other philosophers and then talking about St. Thomas's Aquinas's, um, you know, thoughts on their thoughts. And so, um, or, you know, comparing the two philosophies. So we, we're going to be talking about Hegel, Marx, um, and Aquinas, nice. of course, and the dialect Marxism and um, obviously, being t- Thomanism. I don't know how you say this. Is that t- Thomanism? Is that Thomanism? Yeah, Tom- Thomas. yeah it's a t- <laughs> And so, yeah, you could get, look forward to that if you're not as familiar with um, the philosophies of Hegel and Marx. Obviously, Marxism's a word that's thrown out a lot these days. So um, it would be a good show to kind of learn more about it and also what St. Thomas Aquinas, would resp- how he would kind of respond to that. Awesome. Awesome. And I hope Eric and Elise, I really feel tied to Eric and Elise now. I really hope their relationship works out. I really yeah, feel, I think so. I feel bonded with them now. I would, I feel like there could be a sequel all about the melding together of families. If the both families oh, were yeah. Roman, right. And, uh, cause there's some issues there with, yeah. with parents and grandparents. Yeah. Oh, this is a mess. Yeah. We got to talk about this some more. Yeah. Thanks. Cecil. You're welcome. <laughs> This is the David O'Grey Show, voicing truth and reason on Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Doug Barry is in the house. He'll be coming in about four or five minutes here. But I wanted to just give a, a reflection here just on the feast that is today. That is the feast of the presentation of Christ, or um, as they call it in the Eastern Rites, the meeting of our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So. So it's it's really interesting that although Mary was born without the stain of original sin, like her son, we she was completely obedient to the law, like the law found in Leviticus 12, chapter 12, verses 2 through 8, which considered a woman who gave birth to a male son unclean seven days after delivery. Now, on the eighth day um, is when she would have taken her male child to be circumcised. So Jesus goes to be circumcised on the eighth day. And then for the next 33 days, Mary would have continued what was called a blood purification and not allowed to touch anything holy. Again, which is interesting because her son is completely holy, but obedient to the law. Now, nor, nor was she able to come into the sanctuary until days after the purification was fulfilled. So after these 33 days had been completed, Mary would have taken a first year lamb to the temple for a burnt offering and uh or a young and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering to the priest who have offered sacrifice before the lord and made atonement for her if they didn't have the means for like to bring a lamb again although mary brought the lamb of god you know but i'll skip the details right <laughs> but then no mary would have brought she would have brought two turtle doves and two young pigeons like luke 224 says she brought so she didn't bring the lamb she brought two turtle doves and two pigeons um, to be made clean. Although, again, she was conceived immaculate and would have never had any original sin to be atoned for, but she was obedient to the law. And it was also at this time that Jesus would have been presented to the temple, being that he was the firstborn male son of Mary, according to the law of Exodus in chapter 13 which required to him, him to be consecrated to the Lord. Now, according to Luke on that day, Jesus was brought uh, for consecration. A righteous and devout man named, named Simeon was at the temple and he was there waiting for consolation Israel and the Holy uh, Spirit was upon him, the text says. Also, there's a, a prophetess there named Anna. She's also a widow 
cool. The text says, never left the temple, but worship day and night, fasting and praying. Now, after encountering the infant Jesus, the reactions of Simeon and Anna are quite different, but identical in essence. They both praise God for having encountered who they believe was a long-awaited Messiah of Israel. And afterwards, they gave thanks and praise to God and then went forward to speak truth about Jesus. In other words, after they communed with Jesus, they thanked God and then went and gave witness about him, which is exactly what happens at the Mass, where we patiently wait we patiently prepare ourselves to encounter Jesus Christ so that we might worthily receive him. We then encounter Jesus where he has come to us. After we commune with him, we are dismissed from the mass to go give witness about him. So we are Anna and Simeon and their encounter is a prototype of the liturgy of the mass. But for our reflection here, I'd like to dig deeper for a moment to the essence of Simeon and Anna's encounter. Imagine for a moment Simeon and Anna were at a Catholic Mass. If Simeon sang at the encountering of the child Jesus, imagine how much more loudly and boldly he'd be singing a song during the liturgy, right? He'd be that person at Mass you know, that we look over, he's just singing too loud, right? That's Simeon, right? He's just, he's just thankful. Imagine Anna running out of mass telling everyone on the streets about Jesus, whom she had just communed with. They would think they're, they, they would think both of these two people are fanatics. And I think that's what the world will call Simeon and Anna. But, but their reaction is natural, not unnatural. It's, it's unashamed, not ashamed, not shameful. It's not a shameful reaction or unnatural. It's the reaction people have when they encounter the true objective good. And we see shadows of the same when people experience subjective good. And, and it gives them that brain chemical reaction, you know, that we call happiness. You know, what happened? Your sports team won. Your marriage proposal worked. You won off some sort of scratch-off ticket. You're able to pay your rent. Reacting and responding with joy is natural because of who created us. We were created by the good for the good. Therefore, our most natural self is when we are in the presence of good. And we have hints of our true self when we enjoy glimpses of the true objective good, when we experience objective goods. And, and, and this is principally why God even allows the false goods, so that we might one day discover our dissatisfaction with the, the goods that spoil, the, the goods that decay, and convert our hearts to the true and pursue the good whom we discover. It's not an object or experience, but the three persons of the Holy Trinity. Okay, here's a more tangible reflection I, I think we have to consider in the light of Simeon and Anna. I find that there are three reactions to that, 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 humans, that humans have in response to coming in the presence of the good. The first is the same as Simeon and Anna, right? We, we find complete satisfaction in the good. This satisfaction that we find is not the kind of satisfaction that, that dissipates, right? It's not as like a satisfaction of, of satisfying our hunger because we're going to be hunger again, hungry again. It's not the satisfaction of completing the work. What happened? You just cut your grass. You're satisfied. You did a good job. Okay, you're going to have you're going to come back next week to cut it again. To the contrary, truly being satisfied in Christ is the deepest satisfaction because we're satisfied in the work of Christ. Not only that, the work that we're satisfied in is is complete. It's perfect. But Simeon and Anna. 
who had long hoped for this day, their hope was fulfilled. Therefore, they went away satisfied. But being satisfied in Christ is our highest good, and that satisfaction also produces the most fruit. So that's the first reaction to the good. We're satisfied. Thank you. And we praise that. We thank that. That's the natural reaction. That's the only natural reaction, to being satisfied. Then there's two disorder reactions. I'll go over quickly for you. The first one that the people have, that, that reaction to the good that's disordered, is that they encounter the good, and for having encountered it, they desire to harm the good. Right? We cannot love our neighbor if we do not love God. So, and this is how God in society dies. This is how this is why the Jews killed Jesus. They must kill him. Harmful because we know that the objective good, we know that in, 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 instinctually, we just know that the objective objective good it wants to change us. We notice something deficient about ourselves when we encounter the good. And because we, we, really, we recognize that that good is so different than us, that it's going to change me if I draw closer to it. Right? Therefore, I must harm it. So we lash out to protect ourselves. So, so the, the greatest, I think the greatest disordered reaction of this, this desire that we have to harm the good because it's so different than us, it's, it's convicting us, is, of course, you know, you have things like, you know, heresy, right? Against Christ in his church, burning churches and Bibles, destroying icons and relics, making the liturgy less reverent, right? Those are definitely reactions, right? Of, oh, this is good, therefore I must harm it because it's going to change me. I'm this fit. I notice that I'm deficient when I'm around this, this liturgy, therefore I must deform it. But I find that lynching a child in a womb, murdering the innocent babies, defenses, the defenseless good in a womb is the most grave act of, in the sign of a person who's not well or the sign of a person who has people in their life who are, who are pressuring them because they're not well. Harming the other, the child in the womb who is good, is the reaction that one has when they encounter, when they encounter it. Right? I must harm it. I must destroy it. It's somehow going to change my life. The third reaction, um, disorder reaction, is harming self, right? Because we cannot love ourselves because we, if we don't love God. We cannot love neighbor if we don't love God, nor can we love ourselves truly if we don't love God. And so we see this a lot in society this way. So the, the more post-Christian, post-truth this society becomes, the more murderous, nihilistic, suicidal becomes. A society who does not love God is a society that can only pursue death. Killing other because we cannot coexist with good is one thing, but killing self, harming self, because we cannot see the good um, in yourself is, is a grave sin, it's despair. Yet many people in the world today are not well in this regard. Suicide rates are higher than we can ever imagine. And we, we want to look to it in, in these like these these rational ways as if, if as if though despair is somehow rational, right? But this this is both irrational, but it's rooted in love and not understanding why God loves us. Therefore, we return to Simeon and Anna on this feast day at a presentation of the Lord as models of how we as a Eucharistic people ought to be in the world. We prepare, we commune, we thank and praise, and we tell someone about him. That's what Anna and Simeon are teaching us. Prepare, commune, thanks, praise, tell it. 
Tell us at the mountain. That's what the song says. Tell somebody how good God is. That's a natural reaction because somebody needs to hear it today. And that's all I know about that. Right after the break, Catholic evangelist and warrior Doug Berry will be on the show to speak about getting battle ready and talk about whether anyone has won the culture war yet. This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. Between now and February 21st, the GRN is raffling off a 2022 GLA 250 in Midnight Black. And this sweet beauty of a car can be all yours by going to grnonline.com and purchasing five tickets for $100 or $25 for one. All proceeds support Catholic Radio on the GRN. Now that's a deal that's all right, all right, all right. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for the world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Hi, this is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network, and I wanted you to meet two more GRN family members, David and Marty. David Renshaw joined the GRN on December 14, 2021. He is the general manager for GRN Florida. David and his wife Heather live in Pensacola, Florida, and have two sons and two daughters. David collects comic books and really loves all of the Marvel movies. Marty Matulia is the general manager for GRN Alabama. Marty joined the GRN on January 3rd, 2022. He and his wife Melinda relocated from Texas to Birmingham and have three grown sons. Marty and his three sons are all baseball enthusiasts. He also loves reading theology, spirituality, and history books. We are so thankful to our GRN family for all they do to keep the Guadalupe Radio Network stations on the air. This has been your GRN Family Minute. You've seen him on EWTN Live from the Rock and on Battle Ready, also EWTN. You've seen him at Catholic conferences and on the Grace Force podcast of Father Hyman. And if you're older than my producer, Sissel, you may remember when Doug Berry had this one-man drama called The Passion, which was performed live around the world and until Mel Gibson stole the idea from him and made a moderately popular movie about it, um, but didn't call on Doug to play the leading role. But now he's finally made it big time. He's on the David O. Gray Show. Doug Berry, welcome on. Thanks, man. Good to have you. Uh, chance to be with you here. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happened. The whole Mel Gibson thing. We're trying to figure out a way to sue him, but I just don't think I'm going to win that one. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, people raved about that one man show you used to do, man. That was do 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 you relish those times when you look back traveling around the world, um, doing that and, and bringing Jesus to people in that way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I did it for about 25, 26 years. Man. Um, we would do it year round. 
Um, I would do um, sometimes four or five presentations in one week, uh, especially during Lent. We would see oftentimes the churches were full and they would many times they would have confessions arranged to be said afterwards to be heard afterwards. And we would have confessions go on for an hour, hour and a half, even with four or five, six priests. Um, It was absolutely humbling and amazing to watch people's hearts be moved by the power of this story. You know, this is the sort of thing that that uh, it's the story of all stories. Uh, it, you know, we did it, it was about a 75, 85, maybe 90 minute presentation straight through. I, I, I portrayed maybe up to 10, 12 different characters. Wow. And I had a good friend of mine, Eric Jenis, who was an amazing musician, um, would do the music live. So we never rehearsed it. We never scripted it. He would just follow what I was saying and I would listen to his music and we would pray and wow. hope and pray that it would reach people. So yeah, by the grace of God, it was just real humbling. And then literally in a matter of about maybe six months to a year, the phone just pretty much stopped ringing. And mm-hmm. several people that we <clears throat> talked to said, oh, yeah, now that Gibson's got his movie out on DVD, <laughs> we're just going to play the DVD this year at our parish. So that, yeah, that yeah. just kind of that kind of took it away. But, yeah. you know, God did what he wanted to do for the time that he did. And we're humbled to have the chance to do it. But I do miss it. I do. Yeah. How did it help you in your spiritual life, though? Because, I mean, and I hope I hope one day you know once you get to heaven i really hope that christ just tell you man that was really you know good job you know covering me that that was really good imitation to me i hope he tells you that <laughs> but yeah, i'm always afraid he's i'm always afraid he's gonna say to me what were you thinking <laughs> really i mean come on doug you know <laughs> but people were blessed i mean but the, how did it help you though personally in your spiritual life though you know i i would say the the one of the most powerful parts of it is the feedback I would get from other people. A lot of it, because I never wrote it down, it was never scripted. Um, mm. And would different pieces would come, different thoughts, because the, the characters speak to the audience. And different thoughts and different uh, pieces of it would come from what people would say to me after they had seen it. Yeah. They would come up and say, boy, it made me feel this, or it moved me here, or it made me think of this, or it brought me to this point. And that was probably the most humbling thing for me in my spiritual life was to to see how God was using this through, you know, through the music and, and the, the portrayal of this, that people would be so impacted. Some people would go to confession. They would say, first time I've been to confession in 20 years, or, or a priest wow. told me one time, he said, I've never cried during anybody's confession, but I cried tonight twice wow. because of how people were affected. So those things uh, constantly, you, you realize the power of God working in the heart. And you realize that that this is a story that it really our hearts are prepared for they're written for this story Mm. and it would blow people away sometimes they would say oh i wasn't even going to come tonight someone twisted my arm or or uh you know someone told me you know you you know you're not eating tonight if you don't go to this you know something funny you know (laughs) and then it would come and and there would be a positive response so the humility of those stories is probably what affected me the most overall man that's wonderful and speaking with doug barry and if you want to call in and speak with Doug, you can call 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. Or if you're watching one of the live streams, you can chime in if you have Doug a question. Doug, I'm so happy, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, just because, you know, I've been on the Grace Force show with you and Father Howman so many times. So having you on on a radio show here is, is a true pleasure. Where, where can people find you at? Uh, well, actually, right now I'm sitting in my office. At, oh, you don't mean that. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
No, first of all, I got to say, having you on is great. Father and I have just been talking. We're trying to line up guests again, of course, as you know how that goes. You're you're on the you're on the docket. We've got to get you on. Again. Oh yeah, I know. My, yeah, I know. My, I'm a one of the regulars. Always appreciate that. Thanks for always having me on. Yeah, you've been <laughs> one of the more popular ones, so that's awesome. Your your sense of humor is great. I love your posts. You put them out on Facebook and all. You know, very funny. Um, no, they can find um, the work that we're doing. The U.S. It's usgraceforce.com is the website. U.S. Grace Force is the YouTube channel. You can also find the podcast on six or seven different audio uh, platforms as well. Um, I think we're on Spotify. I was thinking about what I was going to do with Spotify because of this. Well, I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but um, also, we have a um, we have a, a, a page, a website called BR Coalition, and uh, or Battle Ready Coalition. And the BR yeah. Coalition is an online monthly training thing that we do, and we yeah. we're working on a film called Doomed to Repeat It, and we've got some great trailers out there. You can find that on our BR Coalition YouTube channel as well. So. U.S. Grace Force and BR Coalition, both on YouTube and on the website or on the internet, would be the best ways to find any of the work that we're doing. And Battle Ready Strong, I hate to throw out another one in there, but yeah. BattleReadyStrong.com is another one. Yeah, and I think that's the one we have linked here. Um, but Cecil, look like Cecil is um, linking them all. And, and so awesome. that's why, yeah, a couple of things I want to talk about with you, Doug, because you have such great insight into what's going on. And that's one of the reasons why I know you um, getting battle ready, helping families prepare for um, the society that we live in is so important to you. So I want to talk mm -hmm. with you about that and just link that into, you know, the culture war, whatever that is nowadays. I don't hear so much about us. So I wanted anybody to win that. But right. <laughs> but what is I mean, what, what's what's tell us about what is it getting battle ready? What does that mean? What, what does that look like and why? Well, just a real quick backstory on it. About a dozen or so years ago, my son and I, my son who does a lot of my video work, he pretty much most all of it. He does a lot of it. We have a TV show on EWTN called Battle Ready. And so someone could check out EWTN TV show Battle Ready. Um, and the way that all came about as I was walking through the office one day, my son was still living at home and he was working in the office there with me. And, and I said, you know, son, we need to come up with something that wakes up the fighting spirit, wake up the fighting spirit, especially in men, but in mm -hmm. everybody we've lost the fighting spirit. A lot of our Catholicism has become watered down. It's become a lot of Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so, but there's no fighting spirit, no real wrestling with the demons mm -hmm. type of spirit. And I said, we need to be ready for this. And he just turned and said, yeah, we need to be battle ready. And I just love the term. It stuck. I started giving talks on it. Um, eventually was asked to give parish missions. So I do still not, not as often because people aren't calling as much after the pandemic hit, but um, <laughs> I would travel around and give what I call battle ready rallies. And they yeah. were talks on being prepared for the fight, body, mind, soul, those three key areas. And so that's really how it got started. And then it really kind of broke down from there into what does that mean to be physically prepared, spiritually prepared, and prepared in the mind. We need attitude adjustment to really understand why it's important for us to even take the steps to train spiritually or physically or mentally. And a lot of people's attitude is very much, which I think is a part of the consequence of the fallout of the culture war, is we live very much in a climate-controlled culture. Mm. where uh, from my phone, if I want to, I can pick this bad boy up and I can adjust my thermostat if I have that set up. Mm. I can pull up the ring video camera on my house. I, now, some of these things aren't bad, don't get me wrong. 
But when we got our lazy boy recliners, we don't have to get up and change the thermostat. We got our sleep number beds. We can talk to our TVs now to tell them what channel to put on. We've got all of this. We've got 800 channels. We've got internet streaming. We've got everything at our fingertips. And we wonder why we're, a lot of us are out of shape, overweight, spiritually lazy. And we're really not prepared for any of the physical, spiritual, or mental battles that we're going through right now. How how does why why is discomfort important? Because everything I hear heard you saying, you know, we have a lot of creature comforts. The more mm -hmm. comfortable you are, the more comfortable that you want to be. Nobody really seeks out discomfort. But if you look at the life of Christ, um, you know it better than anyone else. Um, quite a quite a uncomfortable life. A lot of discomfort there. Mm -hmm. um, his apostles after you know, even after Jesus um, you know, uh, ascends into heaven. Um, the life that the type of life that they lead, lead spreading the church, evangelizing, quite uncomfortable. The lives of the saints, not one that I know seeks comfort as as a first principle, right? Right. Um, so what? So talk about those two things. The reality of how does how does this suffering, does this comfort assist us, and why is comfort? Why is that so pursuing comfort? Why is that so dangerous? You know, I'll start with a quote. Um, it's one of my favorite quotes. I actually um, created a vinyl banner and it hangs in my weight room in my garage. And it's a quote from an old Genghis Khan movie where John Wayne was cast to play Genghis Khan. Okay. Now, it's a terrible casting decision, but uh, <laughs> the movie I think is called The Conqueror. And there's a scene where Genghis Khan's about to overrun and, and destroy some village and the elder of the village comes out and it's just roughly goes like this. The elder of the village is trying to talk Genghis Khan down. He's trying to say, hey, look, let's defuse this. Why don't you come in and we'll give your men comfort. We'll give them, you know, the whole wine, women and song routine. We'll give them a food and, and it'll just be wonderful. And someone in Genghis Khan's camp there says this, and I don't remember if it's Genghis Khan or not, but they say this. No, the men will stay out here and they'll sleep on the ground and they'll they'll stay uncomfortable because if they become too comfortable, Ooh, you'll man. get soft. If you get soft, you get weak. If you get weak, you can't fight. And if you can't fight, you die. So you can shorten that to if you get too comfortable, you'll die. Now, everybody will say, yeah, but Doug, we're going to die anyway. Yeah, but the quality of life, the manner of death, physical or spiritual, does matter. So when people get so comfortable that, for example, men, like I'm in my 50s and I still work out and train. And the reason I do is because I want to be in shape. I want to take care of the temple, the Holy Spirit. I say, maintain the temple. If the body's a temple, Holy Spirit, just maintain it. Be in reasonable health. Plus it's in the catechism paragraph 2288 that life and health are precious gifts from God and that we have a responsibility to be reasonably healthy and take care of these gifts. Plus I know I do the will of God better as a husband, as, as a father, as a grandfather, I do that will of God better in my life, my job, whatever it is, the healthier that I am. So take care of the body because I don't want to be in a situation where number one, spiritually, I'm going to get lazy, sloth is going to take over and I'm going to die spiritually. I also don't want to fall into a situation where if somebody breaks into my house and tries to hurt my wife, just because I'm in my 50s, what am I going to say? Well, I'm just going to pick up the phone and call 911 and hope somebody comes in time. Yeah. That doesn't cut it. I need to be ready to go to protect my wife. Yeah. If I'm walking through a parking lot and someone screams for help, I don't want to be the type of guy that says, well, boy, I hope somebody comes and helps them. I want to be able to engage smart, of course, not running in guns blazing. Yeah. But if I'm in shape and I'm taking care of myself, 
then be it spiritual or physical, I'm ready to engage in the battle. I don't know, so Doug. The the, now, nowadays, is to a be, tough one, David. Yeah, to be in shape nowadays, I mean, in those situations, just means to be able just to hold up your cell phone and to record things, bad yeah. things that are happening, right? No Sadly, one's ready. You're to, right. Yeah, no one's ready into danger, Doug. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It's sadly you are so right on that. When you hear these horrible stories, recently there was a story in Pennsylvania of a woman being literally a man was raping her on a train. There were anywhere from ten to twelve people on the train. Nobody engaged. It was eight or nine minutes she was going through this horrible, yeah. this this tragedy, and several had lifted up their phones and were actually filming it. And you, you know, and there's several stories like this we're hearing more and more. Law enforcement are even saying we don't understand it. What has happened, especially to men? A lot of men are neutered when it comes to this. We've lost the fighting spirit. And that is, and not only is it a crime, I think it really, really speaks of a lack of virtue. Because the more virtuous we are, the more we want to stand up for what is good, holy, and true in every way and do it in a way that is truly honorable and noble, which means we don't, we don't use excessive force if we have to get into a physical confrontation. But we want to be prepared. Look, any woman listening right now, I'm pretty darn sure that any woman listening right now would say that you want the men in your life, whether it's your father, your husband, your sons, your uncles, grandfathers, whoever, you want them to be ready that if something really hits the fan and goes bad, they're ready to step up, whether it's a fire in the house, a bad guy breaks in, or, or some other situation. You want them to be physically, mentally, and spiritually capable to engage so, you know, David, it all starts with that attitude adjustment. We have to be willing to, to have the fighting spirit, spiritually and physically. But we also have to recognize that comfort, while it has its place, and I like it as much as the next guy, I choose to make myself uncomfortable a little bit at least six days a week. Sunday, you take a day off. Hey, it's Sunday. You know, it's a mini Easter. But six <laughs> days a week, I do something to keep a little bit of edge physically and spiritually and mentally by doing something to make myself uncomfortable just enough to keep that sharp edge so hopefully god willing i'm ready yeah amen so good to hear you hear you say that doug and i when i when, I, when we're speaking with doug barry um we have some links posted to places you can find him u.s grace force be um battle ready strong dot um, teachable.com and there's also there's another one doug you said br coalition br B coalition brcoalition.com so that's a place you can yeah. find Doug Barry but if you just type in his name in the Google or on the DuckDuckGo um, you know you can find Doug Barry popular guy happy to have him on the show and like I said I'm so happy to hear you say that you know when I look at I was, I was in Cleveland at the March for Life I was speaking there and I was talking about how if you just you know, Aristotle said, if you look at a thing long enough, you know, you, you know, it tells you what it is. You just have to observe it. The thing mm -hmm. tells you what it's, it, it is, what it, what it's there for is, is created purpose. And I know there, there's plenty of women who are, who are strong, um, can do well, defend themselves, have, have taken sure. classes and everything like that. But I look at the woman in her most vulnerable state, you know, when she, when she's pregnant and she seems that she appears to be quite vulnerable sometimes wobbly, <laughs> um, has some strange eating habits, but you know, the baby is protruding. There's nothing natural that defends it. It's not like a, a rib cage, right? It, it seems to be naturally vulnerable right. and defenseless. And she's a little bit off herself physically to being able to defend herself. And so 
it, it seems to be natural. Well, God did not create her to defend herself, especially in that state. That's why he made uh, man and, and gave man woman. And there was a role there for man to protect woman. And so would you would you say also, I mean, this touches a little bit into the theology body, obviously, but when you say that just, this is just the natural order, that this is the man's given duty to be the protector? Oh, I would say first, yes, absolutely. I love the analogy St. John Paul II gives when he says that it's the arm of man that protects the rib on the body. That arm protects the rib, which mm. is Eve, and it's that rib that protects the heart of man. So you've got this dynamic here where, you know, Eve being the, I mean, look, we, we know that women can, can destroy men or they can raise men up. I always tell my wife, you hold my heart in the palm of your hands. You can crush me or you can lift me up. <laughs> By a look across the room, you can do this. Okay, your tone <laughs> of voice can do this, right? There's something about a woman that can make or break a man. And we hear this in so many stories you could give examples of throughout the history of, 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 of civilizations everywhere. But it is the strength of that man's arm that can protect that, that really that, that gentle rib, that fragile rib, you could say. And I love that John Paul II uses that analogy because he's talking about the dynamic of the two. And it is by God's design that man has this more physical sort of something in him. Look, there are women out there, and the great one of my favorite stories is a husband and wife. They're both in their 80s, early 80s or so. And there's a knock on the door, and there are two thugs outside the door. It's an evening, just a gentle knock on the door. Hey, no reason to be concerned. The man goes to open the door. The bad guys kick in the door. Immediately, one of the guys jumps on the man. He's knocked to the ground, and he starts pounding on the guy. Now, his life is at stake right now. What does the woman do? She runs back to the bedroom. She comes out with a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun. She racks around into that shotgun, and the sound alone, if anybody knows the sound of a 12-gauge <laughs> pump action, terrified these two guys. They turned and ran out of the house. Now, she fired a shot, kind of peppered their backside. Nobody got killed, but she saved her husband's life and probably her own. So I'm not saying that a woman can't defend and protect, but then you look at how many countless stories of physical aggression, where men are generally built stronger, and we have something in us that's more inclined to be ready to go through a wall if we have to, to protect a lady. But you draw a great example there, David. When a woman is pregnant, she's not in a fighting position. Yeah. When she's showing and that belly is protruding because that baby is growing, she, you're right. She's having a hard time getting up out of the chair in her, in her third <laughs> trimester. You know, my yeah. wife and I have had five children, seven counting two miscarriages, but five children living. And yeah, it's absolutely incredible to watch at that moment. You can't expect that woman to be in a position to have to, she might have to, she might have to use pepper spray or a firearm, but she can't physically engage. So I think you're right. It's you look at it long enough and you see man has this ability. You know, woman has her different abilities. They work well together and they make yeah. an amazing arrangement that God has designed. You know, we see this example real quick. I'll say also we see it uh, portrayed when we've got a lot of men who are claiming to be women and competing in women's sports. And they're just dominating record after record after record. And we you know, the society has gone crazy now where they applaud that. Well, that's another example of just the genetics alone of a man over a woman. It's just by God's design. You just can't get yeah. away from the reality of that. Yeah. And we're speaking with Doug Barry. You can find him online. Just type in Doug, B-A-R-O-Y. You can find him anywhere online. We're here on a show talking about uh, some of the work he's doing, um, getting families ready, battle ready, battle strong. You can also find him at Grace Force. 
com. He has a podcast there with Father Hyman. Really, really great show. Doug, speaking speaking of, you know, the, the life issue, you know, we touched on that. And and <laughs> just how, how to engage in society. I was just, were you shocked when you saw those pictures coming out of the March for Life in D.C. and you've seen so-called Catholics for Life outside the Basilica posting, um, sending uh, images from a projector on the face of the cathedral, abortion messages, pro-abortion messages. And what I couldn't figure out, Doug, was where was some guy somewhere ready mm-hmm. to run to that projector and just smash <laughs> it. I know I would have. Right. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just so, but what's going on with the culture war? I haven't heard, haven't heard anything in the last couple of years about a, a culture war. Did somebody win it or are we talking about something else now? You know, we, we, we're releasing a, a podcast at 6 p.m. Central time tonight, U.S. Grace Wars. We just interviewed Father Chad Ripperger. He's an mm. exorcist and he's pretty mm. well known. And Father Chad Ripperger talks a bit about some of what's going on in our culture. And he addresses the fact that we're in a position right now where so many people have drifted so far from God mm-hmm. that even the so-called good Catholics that are out there, I say so-called, have become, and he doesn't use the word neutered, I do, but a lot have just become neutered. They have lost the something in them that if they're in a situation like, like you described, yeah, who wouldn't just go over and say, wait a minute, what are you doing here? And if you're afraid to do it alone, then look at four or five other guys and say, hey, guys, let's go over here. You don't got to get physical, but if you physically impose your presence, that alone can say something. Do it with a rosary in one hand, okay, but do it with an attitude that says, this is wrong, and we need to stand up against it. So when I asked Father Ripperger what he felt about where we are, and I I hope everybody goes and and listens to the podcast or watches it, uh, U.S. Grace Force. Uh, YouTube, and you can find it, I think, iHeartRadio and, and many other uh, platforms out there for podcasts. And again, it's six o'clock tonight, Central Time, it comes out. It's amazing because he talks about the fact that we're in a position right now where he says, when you think you see the bottom, it goes even lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. People can't help themselves with regards to this culture war. They're just going to continue to spew this out because the number one area where many are not battle ready. The number one area that really drives the culture war is the spiritual part. Men don't know, for example, David, you know, guys like us that are married, we have wife, children, whatever your scenario is, you have spiritual authority. First of all, we all have spiritual authority over our own souls. Second, though, my role as a husband in my home gives me an authority over my house, over my home, over my wife, my children, until they move on to a later stage of their life when they find their own adulthood and so forth, that then you lose some of that authority. But the point I'm saying is husbands, fathers, claim that authority, fight the spiritual fight. That's a major part of the culture war problem. Ladies, you don't have spiritual authority over your husbands. That usurping of authority over your husband opens you and your husband up to diabolical problems. This is coming from Father Chad Ripperger, the exorcist, very clearly when a woman usurps the authority that is her husband's, belongs to her husband, it opens up the family to serious and grave problems. Now, there's a lot to this, and I can't go into detail in the amount of time we have, but it is important to understand. Part of our culture war problem is we've lost an understanding of the spiritual battle, of what it takes to be spiritually prepared. I mean, David, face it. Uh, John Paul II put it very clearly back in the 80s when he was in America, when he said, America, your communion lines are long, but your confession lines are short. Ooh. 
Okay, we're not getting to confession like we should. We're not yeah. living and staying and fighting for that state of grace, supernatural yeah. grace. We need that. If we're going to turn the culture any direction that's good, we have to be engaging in our own personal spiritual battles, understanding where we are with authority. Remember this, demons are like lawyers from hell, Father Ripperger says. They understand authority, they understand divine law, and they know who should be doing what, when, and where. And when we are undisciplined and lazy spiritually, we are easy targets. We are easy prey for the diabolical. That's a major reason why our culture war is in the world of hurt that it's in. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 a culture war needs warriors, right? And, and so it's, it sounds like it's just a, an absence or a diminished um, opportunity or a diminished pool from which mm -hmm. there, there's warriors to draw from from this. So that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. I was wondering what happened to the culture war. I used to hear a whole lot about it, but man, if there's nobody to join this army, uh, but thanks, Doug, for getting everybody ready um, and doing your part. Make sure you guys tune into Grace Force later this evening, like Doug said. Uh, you could go anywhere. YouTube is a good place to watch it. And make sure you subscribe to U.S. Grace Force. Doug, we got about um, 15 seconds. Do you have any final thoughts or any, any final things people like to hear? Yeah, last thing I would say is this. Be disciplined. Be disciplined in your prayer life. Be disciplined in your day-to-day -day lives, taking care of your job, keeping your house in order, keeping your health in order. Body, mind, and soul, be disciplined. The demons despise people that are spiritually and naturally disciplined, not just spiritually, but even living a natural life in a disciplined, holy way. The demons have a very difficult time getting into your, into your heart and into your soul and into your family. So be disciplined, be, be, be body, mind, and soul prepared. Check out brcoalition.com battlereadystrong.com and U.S. Grace Force for more information on the stuff that we're doing. But we've got to fight this good fight, but we have to be disciplined and trained up, body, mind, and soul. Thanks, Doug. David, appreciate it. God bless you, bro. God bless you. And thanks for tuning in. I'll be back same time next week, same place. and look forward to conversing with you again. In between time, visit me at davidlgray.info. But until then, next time, remember, Jesus loves you and is there for you. Live your life like salvation matters. May the abundance of our Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you and yours. Thank you.